Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, everybody. Thank you once again for joining us. I have a note here that says I'm to remind people that episodes of The Next Track are available on Google Play and Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, of course. So if those platforms are easier for you to use, please, you can find all our episodes in one of those places. This is episode number 137 of The Next Track. In last week's episode, we talked about the theory of breaking up iTunes and creating a classic iTunes and then a new supercharged marzipan sort of standalone streaming iTunes for those people who just wanted to keep their streaming stuff in one place and their file and playlist management and all that stuff in another application. Apple recently decided to jettison the Artist Connect feature, which was part of the For You uh, conglomeration, and that enabled you to stay in touch with uh, artists and to see what they were doing and perhaps every so often get an actual personalized message or maybe get some studio tracks that they were working on, and that was the promise of Connect. And really what Connect turned out to be was just a, a PR tube of uh, information about the artists that you were following. You didn't really see too much, at least I didn't. I mean, for goodness sake, for, I was signed up to follow XTC. Am I going to see new XTC <laughs> messages and new XTC albums? I don't think so. So I never paid much attention to Connect because of that, because it really wasn't going to be that much of a personal connection. And like its, it's, like its antecedent uh, ping, it... it has bitten the dust as well. So we were wondering, what does a real music social network look like? One that would be successful and work. Now, I'm sure there are some small mu social music networks to some degree, but they're not... Well, I mean, I would think a music forum at Discogs is a social network or that kind of thing. Yes, but so this is the problem that Apple tried to solve, both with Ping and with Connect, was taking these sort of disparate vocations where people would talk about very different types of music and, and federate and integrate them into one lumpen thing. Ping, Ping was a, a terrible mistake. They started in 2010. It took five years for it to die. It initially, it was a sidebar. If I remember correctly, you got information about artists. I think you could even get stuff about tours and tickets, but I don't remember it being. I remember I turned it off pretty quickly, basically, because it just got in the way. It wasn't It wasn't very compelling. It wasn't very compelling at all. And like I said, it kind of devolved into a PR conduit. So Connect was the same thing. As you said, artists could post information or minions that worked for artists, but also record labels could. I was following ECM, the jazz and classical record label, and they did post things regularly. But the problem was that I looked at Connect about as often as I look at LinkedIn, which is roughly twice a year. When somehow I see something that reminds me that it, that this service exists and I should go log in so they don't, you know, put my account to sleep or something. The other, the other, but the other thing is it didn't really seem like a two way thing. But it, it wasn't. And that's the whole point. Apple doesn't want a social network where people can interact because then that raises all the questions of moderation and trolling and abuse and harassment and things like that. Apple does not, Apple will never run a Twitter or Facebook type social network. In, in which case, it's really not up to Apple to do this. Now, the biggest problem with 
Ping and Connect is that they were Apple-specific, that they were not only Apple-specific, but in Apple apps. So in iTunes and in the music app. But they were also hobbled in that they weren't true social networks to begin with. They were this Apple-branded PR conduit. So what they talked about it offering wasn't something that anybody really wanted. You know, it's... I mean, it's if you're a hardcore fan, except maybe for the record labels, right? If you're well, if you're a hardcore fan of, you know, it was good to get this information. I suppose if I'm a Taylor Swift fan and her management team is putting out information about her tour and stuff like that, well, I guess I'm kind of interested in that. But I mean, I didn't get it. There was no personal. But touch. are you? Because when there's information in Connect, when there was information in Connect, there was no little notification symbol on the For You tab next to Connect saying, you know, three. You have three new messages in Connect. So the only way you would know anything is there is by going there intentionally. And when you do go there, how far are you going to scroll to get to where you last looked? So you're going to miss things. Taylor Swift fans follow Taylor Swift on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and MySpace and Tumblr and whatever else exists. You mentioned on social networks. On social networks, but social <laughs> networks that are not music only and that are not run by a single platform as opposed to a company. In other words, it's on the Apple platform. If you don't use iTunes or Apple Music, then you would never see that stuff. If you're a Spotify user, you wouldn't see that. Now, all these artists, like every brand, they've adapted to using these multiple conduits to communicate with their fans and listeners and, and users and, and subscribers, etc. Everyone knows that if you're a brand, you've got to be on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and probably a number of other services. If you're in Asia, if you have Asian fans, for instance, you've got to be on some of the big messaging services in China and Japan. So it's not the multiplication of services that's problematic, but the fact that I, I would think that most of the artists and, and labels would look at this and, and realize exactly what you said, it's a PR conduit, and that people don't react to it very well. I don't know if they got any metrics in terms of page views and impressions, and you just recently, as a uh, an app developer, you've just finally gotten this sort of metric information from Apple regarding your apps in the Mac App Store. This is very new. Before, you had no idea how many people were even looking at your app's pages. So if this data is not available, a, an artist or a, a label or a brand isn't going to want to use the service because they have no way of judging its value. And and. And also the fact that it was severely hampered. As I said, it really doesn't look anything more than, as we've been calling it, a, a PR conduit. Take, for example, David Crosby. I don't know if you know this about him, David Crosby of Crosby, Sills & Nash. He essentially, his policy on Twitter is answer any question. If you want to contact David Crosby and have a personal conversation with him on Twitter, you can tweet him. And if you're a jerk, he will just block you. But if you're nice enough, he'll engage with you and that's the sort of thing that i expected connect to be it's like i could actually discuss things with with a musician or someone from the company someone from from the home office a minion um, right anything but there really wasn't anything there. interestingly one of our guests on the show jeff edgers who we welcomed after his article about the demise of the electric guitar in the washington post he has mentioned several times on Twitter that David Crosby has blocked him, and he doesn't know why. <laughs> well, <laughs> have a look in the mirror, Jeff. <laughs> it's probably something like that. Well, I haven't looked at their history, but, you know, Twitter's kind of interesting, more so than Facebook. Facebook, you don't really, except for small artists, you don't really get them there personally. But on Twitter, it is interesting because you can interact with people. I've been 
retweeted by Stephen King, Edward Snowden. I've had answers and brief conversations with a number of artists and musicians and, you know, people like that. But, see, here's the problem. A social network is not just between fan and artist, if we're talking just about music. It is between fan and artist and fan and fan. Now, you mentioned, like, imagine some forum on Discogs, and I presume Discogs has forums. I, I only go there to get data on records. There are tons of music forums in various places all around, but these are fan-to-fan. -fan. There's no artist involved. So could a company actually make the kind of social network, be it a forum, a Facebook-type thing with posts and comments, a Twitter-type thing with comment and comment, etc.? Could a company make something like that that is specific to a domain, in this case, music? or books, or movies, or, or whatever. One of the problems, one of the hurdles is going to be to you and I as fans, why can't we do this? Why can't I just talk to them? But we see, we want a social network, but what the artist wants is a commercial network. Right. And that's, that's the stymieing part where how, why should we spend, invest time and energy in, in maintaining our social network when there are better ways for us to get our name out there. Why do we want to, first of all, why do we want to preach to the choir? Why would we want to do that? Is this going to help us get new listeners, new people who are going to buy stuff? Probably not, because you're you're going to collect the diehard fans. They've already own all the T-shirts and the tickets and the, and the CDs and the streaming services that your artist is on. So there's some, there's something going on there. But the ideal social network would make it possible for fans of one artist to also discuss another artist and to have that sort of like a relational database where things overlap. So, for example, fans of the Grateful Dead, many Grateful Dead listeners like to listen to Fish. And while they're not entirely mutually exclusive, many don't. But you can imagine that some Grateful Dead fans on a music social network would want to also talk about Fish and bring in the Fish fans and eventually the artist or their minions or and so this is the thing you need that overlap because no one is that focused on a single artist and this is the problem isn't it that all of these things be it artists or films or authors they're all one to many and what we need is the many to many and this is what you get in in forums and this goes back to usenet you would get people talking about a genre or in a Grateful Dead forum, like RMGD, Rec Music Grateful Dead, you'd get people talking about the dead, and you would get posts that would end with the abbreviation NDC, no dead content, and they would talk about another artist. So you get that sort of cross-pollination. But uh, <laughs> that just makes me think we're going to get divided up into tribal fans. You know, for instance, I, it sounds like that, that Grateful Dead forum was largely polite. but No, I on Newsnet it was not largely polite. Okay, so that's that's how soon before it turns into a sewer. Exactly. How soon before it becomes impossible to even read? Um, you get five comments down, and suddenly people are are going at each other's throats. And I don't want to see that in the social media. Either. I mean, I, I I get enough of that. I see enough of that on Twitter. I don't need to see that. And hence in the a, need in for a, moderators in a forum where I'm passionate about what we're talking about. And hence the need for moderators, and that yeah. turns it all into people complaining that they get moderated and. That this is just the problem with social networks. Now, one of the places that you do kind of get this today is on Facebook, where there are a number of independently created groups for bands and for genres. And 
one that I am involved in fairly regularly is called Classical Music Recordings. And I know some of the members of the group are listening to this podcast. Hi, Steve. How you doing? And it's, there's only a few hundred people. And it's like someone will say, has anyone heard this recording of Beethoven symphonies by this conductor? And then, you know, some people say, yes, I, I didn't like it. Yes, I did like it. Of course, there's always the guy who would come and say, oh, I don't like anything by that conductor, right? I, my mother told me, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. But at least you do get the kind of discussions that can spread out of it. It's moderated. So if things go wrong, people get warned or posts get banned and, and, and all that. But the problem is, I, I don't see any way to get the cross-pollination. You can't have this big forum where everything from Kanye West to the Grateful Dead to Taylor Swift to Bill Evans and Miles Davis are all discussed in the same forum. You do have to tribalize it in some way just so people can sort. You have to filter. Uh, I think a, a, maybe a better word we should use is silo it. It has to be in such a way that you're not going to turn off the hardcore fans and you're not going to – well, no. No, I don't like that idea either. It's, no matter yeah. how we think of it, I just, I, I just don't see it working without it deteriorating into fistfights and things like that. Especially yeah. with young, younger I – mean, imagine how you were, 17-year-old, you would feel about someone talking about you know, disparaging your favorite band. You'd be, your, your hormones would, would insist that you fight back. I got kicked out of a Grateful Dead group on Facebook for saying that I think Brent's singing sucks. Brent Midwin, who was the keyboard player who came in after um, Keith died, he was an extraordinary keyboard player, but as a singer, he was horrible. He, he sounded like he was constipated all the time. And they just said, okay, too bad. And there are Brent heads and there are Keith heads. And, you know, this is the problem with all these things, that people get offended you know, if 17-year-old me probably would have bristled at the idea that, you know, we go back to the, the days just at the end of prog rock and people coming onto a forum and saying, oh, prog rock is going to die of its own bombast. And yet it did a couple of years after that. Disco sucks. How many people would have been banned oh, from a music exactly. uh, forum yeah. if, you know, even just saying that? So we've determined that a music social network is virtually impossible to set up. But if you could do it, if you could do it and and... And people were polite and and respecting people's tastes. And I know there are a lot of music fans out there who are, are certainly willing to be that way uh, and are interested in, in opposing viewpoints and things like that in a nurturing and constructive way. Then what would it look like in a perfect world? I think it would look more like Facebook groups than anything we have today. It wouldn't look like Usenet and, and that type of forum, bulletin board forum. It would be more amorphous in the sense, because once you get into forums, you have to have long lists of forums and you have to go through the hierarchy. And with Usenet, what, I don't remember the, the Usenet reader I used, but that app lets you save the ones that you would go to regularly and you would select them. But in, in a music social network, you'd want to be able to find new ones and find new artists. And you'd want to have some sort of a, you'd want to have a recommendation engine involved in it. And that's another thing that Connect wasn't doing. If you're saying, I want to follow these artists, well, maybe they were using some of that in their recommendations and for you, but I would want to see that in Connect, saying, okay, you like this artist, well, check this one out. And if you don't like it, click the little, you know, downward thumb or whatever it is, and you won't see it again. Because so, that's one of the problems with Ping and Connect is you're choosing the artist you like, and you're not getting anything more than that. You're limiting yourself because this is who you know, and you're not discovering anything new. I was kind of hopeful that the friends 
feature of for you where you can subscribe to what your friends do um and see what they're listening to and that really i mean that's okay but that could be a lot better too because again it's a feature that you don't go to and you you don't get notifications about you don't get notified that hey somebody has just subscribed to your your feed or or whatever whatever it is they get get notifications oh do you yeah oh all right i do on my iphone okay I think it's just part of the music notifications. I don't think I do on my Mac, but I might have just turned it off. It's in notifications. One thing that I notice is I was following someone on Apple Music, and every time this person got new followers, it was recommending that I follow every single new follower. So I unfollowed that person because <laughs> that was just too annoying. Yeah, It's someone I like a great deal, but he's just in a position to get a lot of followers. I'm just looking now, and I'm not seeing any friend recommendations. So the people I follow, it's only a few dozen people. They don't have quite as many new friends. But I see what friends are listening to. A number of people I know have listened to the Beatles' White Album. Someone has listened to Chris Cornell. That would be my friend Ian. He's also listened to Led Zeppelin. Only one person's listened to Springsteen on Broadway. Then I see some playlists that people have set up. But there's not a lot of activity because I haven't chosen to follow a lot of people. Basically, yeah, I don't follow a lot of people either. Um, and I, I actually, to be honest with you, I signed up with, I guess I'd call them celebrities. I mean, it's some people who work at Apple because they were one of the first ones to be, to yep. say, "Hey, I'm here, follow me." But I mean, as far as like regular people, our listeners, for example, I'm not sure who's following me. That's one of our listeners. I don't. I'm not sure if I should even follow them. Um, no offense to anyone, but I mean, I'm just not sure who I should follow and why. If this is going to um, be a benefit in any way whatsoever, because I can't communicate with them either. Well, I, I follow people I know, yeah. right? So th- these are people I've worked with. These I follow you, for example. People I've worked with, I do follow Eddie Q and Phil Schiller, but I unfollowed Jimmy Iovine recently because I don't really care about Jimmy Iovine. You can click the Find More Friends bit and connect to Facebook. But I don't really use Facebook very much and don't really follow that many people. And yes, I don't know if any of our listeners are following us. I'll put links in the show notes that you can use to get to our profiles because it's not very easy to find how this works. I'll put a link to an article I wrote on my website when Apple Music launched about this as well. But I'm not finding that aspect extremely useful it's a curiosity for me when 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 I see friends are listening to it's just like oh that's interesting but it's not it's not very, again it's not a compelling thing I I don't feel like I should just go and listen to what I I, I don't know I, other than a, a curiosity it's just interesting well I it's, can and see- it's not like you can communicate with them either that's another thing you can't leave them little notes about, hey, that's a great song to play, or that's listen to track five. Yeah, or- all you can see is what they've listened to. And if you, if I look at my listening history, if I listen to 30 seconds of a track, it shows up as recently played, and you're going to see it. And I, and I find that a little bit ridiculous. I'm just looking through friends are listening to, and I do notice that Peter Chilvers, who's been a guest on the show twice, has recently listened to Brian Eno's music for installations, which is kind of funny because he worked on some of those tracks. He works with Brian Eno. And I found that humorous. And so if I click on Peter's icon, I can see what else he's listened to. And Peter's an interesting guy. And maybe I want to check out, I don't know, who is this Spoiler Versions by Jack Adapter? And In the Blue Light by Paul Simon. He's listened to Paul Simon. 
and a number of things that I'm not familiar with. There are some people I know whose taste in music I do appreciate. And if I see that they've listened to something I've never heard of, I will sometimes check it out, I, I admit. The pitfall there is, <laughs> if you follow me, I dodge around a lot. And just because I've listened to something recently doesn't mean that I'm endorsing it or saying that it's good or bad. It's just because someone said I should listen to it or it occurred to me that I should listen to it. And there it is. It's just as important as the tracks or albums or artists that I I do love. And there's no way to indicate that, well, I was just dodging around trying to find something interesting to listen to. And as a result, I, I might look like I have very eclectic music tastes, which I do, but I mean absurdly eclectic. And and that's not... Well, as I said, even if you listen to something for 30 seconds, it shows right. up and recently played. Right. And uh, remember when we did the episode on disco earlier this year, I listened to a lot of disco. And my recently played was full of disco. But it, what it shows is albums. It doesn't show when you've just listened to a song. It shows an entire album, which in one way I think is good, focusing on the album rather than the song. But it doesn't say how much you've listened to it. There, there's no little progress bar or pie chart. There's no context. There's yeah. no context for why you listen to the record. Like like last night, I listened to Bill Evans' Complete Village Vanguard recordings from 1961. Uh, two CDs, almost to the end. And then after that, I put on John Coltrane's My Favorite Things, but just that one track. So both show up as albums, suggesting that I listen to them entirely. It's all a bit confusing. I mean... It's better than nothing, right? Yeah. But as yeah. King Lear said, nothing will come of nothing. <laughs> yep. You worked Shakespeare in. That was good how you did that. I liked how you did it. I don't do it often enough, do I? No, you don't. You really Forsooth. don't. <laughs> um, so, if we have... So, Friends is pretty good. It doesn't... It's not... Well, I think we both agree it's not bad, but it's I not, would like to be able to put a note on a record so, yeah. so my friends can say, oh, check this out, it's really good, or yeah. don't listen to this, it's horrible, or I just put this on to test new speakers or something like yeah. that. Yeah, just give us 140 characters, 250 characters to say this is this is the context that, in which I'm listening to this. And I don't know, I guess you could edit it. I guess you could, you know, six months later, once you've learned to love it, you could say, oh, I didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about back then. Um, and you should be able to rate things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't sort of you thing. give a star rating to music that you're listening to? And and because those ratings would propagate across Apple Music and, and the iTunes store. So that would actually make sense. I hope that someone in marketing has, has maybe come up with a couple of plans because, I mean, this section is largely <laughs> determined by what, what the people in marketing say. And it seems to me if we can cross-pollinate more music to be listened to they're people going to stay with the streaming service longer and they're going to want it and well it's got every advantage that they would want i imagine the, the problem with for you is that the only recommendations are so this is a monday we're recording and i see monday's playlists and monday's albums i never look at the playlist because i don't listen to playlists there are 16 albums grouped into four categories Today, let's see, I get Tailored for Your Taste, which includes Coldplay, Billy Joel, OMD, and LCD Sound System. Go figure. Since You're Into the Grateful Dead, Moody Blues, Dave Matthew Band, John Butler Trio, and Fish. Based on Your Listening, a record by John Martin, who I only discovered last week. Eagles Greatest Hits, but this must be Volume 2. <laughs> U2, Octung Baby Deluxe, which I haven't listened to U2 in years, and Cream's Disraeli Gears. So that's kind of interesting. And then, since I'm into jazz, there's four jazz records. 
So every once in a while, I'll look at that and I'll see a record that I've never heard or an artist I've never listened to before, and I might play one of them. Over the, the problem weekend, is, over the weekend, I hit a one of those uh, jackpots. Um, whenever I see four albums that I think are really classy, I think of it as like you know, it's like a slot machine, and how they come up uh, is a jackpot. And yesterday, I had two Captain Beefhearts, a Zappa, and a Mothers of Invention, all in because you listen to rock. And I'm like, that's that's yep. an Apple Music jackpot. But it's usually you get 75% in one of those boxes. It's, something is like, what is that oh, doing? Oh, I never there? get more than 50%. Oh, yeah? I really don't. The best I ever I get mean, is 75%. I mean, come on. Eagles, okay. Creamed Israeli gear is okay. But Aktung Baby? That's what I mean. 75% is about as good as you get. Well, eh. But grouping together orchestral maneuvers in the dark, LCD sound system, Coldplay, and Billy Joel. No human being would do that. No radio station would have that format because no. as soon as you played one of them, you'd lose a quarter of your audience. Exactly. So the, the whole problem here is that this can't be a social network because it's locked into an app, into a, a mini ecosystem, the Apple Music ecosystem. At a minimum, if they want to improve it, yeah, comments, ratings, tell your friends why you liked it, that sort of thing. I mean, you can share stuff. You can email someone or message someone or, or copy a link and tweet, but that doesn't get very far that doesn't get outside i want some way to find someone else who's into bob dylan steve reich and john cage and miles davis and to tell me you want apple music tinder (laughs) (laughs) and long walks on the beach do you want that too (laughs) no not too into the beach not very good for listening but yeah see that's the whole point is I do find that when I'm in forums about music or Facebook groups where people are talking about things, and it's like, okay, I like this, this, and this, make some suggestions. People do that every once in a while. In this classical music group, every once in a while, someone says, you know, contemporary composers, and people put up lists and, you know, things you might not be familiar with because it's a vast area. So I think the problem is that, A, any social network would be polluted by trolls and bullies and harassment ne'er-do-wells and scoundrels (laughs) i guess that's one way to put it b for anything to be useful it's going to have to cross platforms and not be locked into a specific streaming service ecosystem and c they need to do more with what they have instead of making it just an artist to listener thing get more feedback from listeners to listeners Make more incentive for people to follow their friends on this service. I don't know how it is on Spotify, but on Apple Music, I know you can follow people on Spotify. Uh, I just don't remember how easy it is to find them. On Apple Music, it's not. It's It seems like it's an afterthought and that they don't see any reason for this to be a useful feature. Well, I remember when it first came out, it was going to be gangbusters, but it was the reality distortion field. And, you know, it, like a lot of things that Apple announces... Um, they all eventually get pinged. <laughs> Let us pick our next tracks. Kirk, what have you got this week? You know, I get really tired of all the superhero garbage and the hyper-violent films and TV series that are on Netflix and Amazon. And it's just, it's just one after another, and they all resemble each other. And then about a year ago, there was this shining light that came through on Amazon. It was funny, it was edgy, it was clever. The series is called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's about a woman who, back in the mid to late 1950s, all of a sudden becomes a stand-up comic. 
and it kind of just happened accidentally. Her husband had been trying some stand-up comedy and was very bad, and she went to this club, The Gaslight, well-known by Dylan fans, and she just got up on stage one night when she was drunk, and she just started talking, and she realized she had what it took. Rachel Brosnahan is the star. She plays Muriel Maisel, or her nickname is Midge. It's also got Tony Shalhoub, who's her father, a number of other minor actors who are, are very good. And it's refreshing to see something that's funny and that's not violent and it's not none of this Game of Thrones crap and, and, and Avengers stuff and all that. Now, language-wise, it's certainly not for children. There's a lot of beep and beep throughout. But the acting is extraordinary. The direction is extraordinary. It, it has... I, I know when Mad Men came out, all these people were saying it was so cool because it brought back the 60s. And I think that was kind of a lame thing to say because all it was was art direction and costumes. But here, she has the most extraordinary costumes. She must wear 12 costumes in every episode. So if you're into fashion at all from the 1950s, you will see every possibility. She has more hats than I could fit in my house. It's really quite stunning. She matches her handbag to her purse all the time. And that's a joke in, in a couple of places. But it does bring out the the, the habits of Jewish New Yorkers in the late 50s. She gets to know Lenny Bruce. So you're seeing the comedy clubs. It's just a fun, refreshing series. And you know what I hate about these series? You can watch one of these in three days. It's 10 episodes. And then you got to wait another year for the next one. Although I don't think it was a, a whole year between the first and second season. Anyway, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime. Everyone has Amazon Prime, so you can watch it for free. Doug, what about you? Uh, now for something completely different. Remember Steppenwolf? Now, when I was a teenager, I did not own any Steppenwolf albums. I wanted to because I liked some of Steppenwolf's songs. I mean, who doesn't like the heavy metal thunder of Born to be Wild and uh, the Bo Diddley-esque Magic Carpet Ride, which are pretty much the only Steppenwolf songs you ever run into nowadays. But back in the day, I would borrow Steppenwolf albums from friends. And I sort of felt that Mm, they're so-so. There was never enough good stuff on one album for me to consider investing my teenage album dollars and buying one. And on top of that, for me, they sort of epitomized the dirty, greasy, hippie, psychedelic scene. For instance, when Mad Magazine would parody uh, rockers for any reason, they always the drawings always reminded me of Steppenwolf. But I keep getting this song by Steppenwolf coming up on Apple Music, and I really like it. It's called, and I want to get this right, Screaming Night Hog. And I guess it was a single because I can't find it on any studio album, but it is available on Steppenwolf All-Time Greatest Hits. This was actually the album that we used at a radio station I worked at because it had everything you'd want to play by Steppenwolf, so we wouldn't need seven records. We just needed the one double album. Besides Born to be Wild and Magic Carpet Ride, perhaps you'll remember these familiar themes. The Pusher, Sookie Sookie, Rock Me, Hey Laudy Mama, stuff like that is on there. Steppenwolf could actually be pretty good, but they weren't good enough all the time, at least as far as I was concerned. They had a lot of personnel changes. Um, they recorded for ABC Dunhill, and I thought ABC Dunhill records sounded like cardboard. They sounded like Dunhill records. Plus... Dunhill released a Steppenwolf live album that was padded with a, a bunch of studio stuff. I mean, that's just not done. So Steppenwolf just always left me with a bad impression. But I'm going to revisit this album and reevaluate. Steppenwolf, all-time greatest hits, is my next track. This has been The Next Track. 
a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.